Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I have a special guest, David Miles. David is a PhD in leadership development, and he has come today to the podcast to share about how do you fit behavior with motivations. He does a lot of fascinating things when he works with organizations to help them adapt to meet the needs of what they're seeing organizationally when they want to make change. His interview was so fascinating that we've decided to do part one and part two. This week, you have part one. So much amazing information. And again, next week, we'll share the second part of his interview. Hope you enjoy the first. And please, please, please stay tuned for next week when you can join me again at Authentic Living with Roxanne. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Durhodge of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again today. Today, I have uh, David Miles with us. He is a PhD in organizational leadership, and he's here to talk a little bit about, I would say, something that's on a lot of people's minds. You know, how are we going to reintegrate back into work? What, how, how is this, all these moving parts going to come together? You know, am I going to be, is it going to be seamless? Is it going to be the same as before I left? Um, what am I going to do with some of the fears that I'm having, not just with as a, an employee, but also as a leader? So, David, thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, thanks, oh, thanks for having me. Most welcome. So let's let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, change, because I think <laughs> I don't even know we can, we, we, you know, that term VUCA, which is kind of out there. I, I don't even know. I think it's VUCA times 10 that uh, we've been <laughs> living in a, a, like a, this, this concept of homeostatic balance is something that I, I, you know, I'm not sure that we'll ever get back to in the way we knew it. Um, but that constance, uh, you know, what we've been going through has been like ongoing uh, change. And now I would say uh, David's in um, in the U.S. Uh, in Virginia. That you're a little bit ahead of us in in kind of people going back to work. Here in Canada, we're we're a little bit behind you in in uh, things going back. But let's talk a little bit about kind of your background and what kind of got you here to do the kind of work that you do, working with leaders and teams. Well, I like to tell a story when I'm. Uh, doing a keynote or breakout and I it's hilarious because I'll flash up a picture of a chicken sandwich and I will blame it all on and I do it's all the fault of a chicken sandwich okay this one now, I, I would say people look at me like I've you know, you know uh, <laughs> taken some illegal substances or, or maybe uh, you know they look at me like I'm you know a little bit crazy which you know I may not deny him on that one. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> screw loose here or there on occasion, I feel like. But uh, I think sometimes to do the kind of work that you do, you know, you have to, uh, you know, have a little bit of leeway here and there. But the reason I say uh, blame it on the chicken sandwich is when I first started working, you know, as a kid, I'm doing odd jobs and you know, mowing grass and doing yard work and stuff like that for money. And then you can get your, quote, first real job, right? So 15 and a half and go down to the 
courthouse and I get to work from it and I go to work for Chick-fil-A at the mall. Now this is long before the cows and long before the, my, you know, my pleasure and all this stuff. They were just in malls, right? No free standings. Everything was just brown and drab and it sold a lot of chicken. Now it's fast food, right? So fast food's fast food. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter whatever. It's not known for being the highest paid. It's not known for being the best work. It's really high, <laughs> fast paced, whatever. But what I liked, what got me about it was this. And this is where years later, it really affected me and, and got me kind of into doing this is that the gentleman that owned it was very deliberate and very intentional about building a culture in his store that you wanted to come to work. You enjoyed working. It didn't matter that the type of work wasn't necessarily the most glamorous, but he set expectations and he created basically a family environment that you really looked forward to going to work. And his managers and supervisors underneath of him echoed that same type of sentiment. So, you know, personalities aside, you still enjoyed coming to work no matter who was running the show that day. Uh, and what I got with that was that he showed a lot of appreciation. He created this great environment and it really screwed me up. I'm not going to lie to you because think about it. You're, you're at 18. What do you know at 18, right? You know, and at 18, let's just say you've been three and a half years, right? Yep. Or two and a half, three years, three out of 18. That's a pretty high percentage of your days on this earth when you're only 18, right? And you've had three of those 18 years, you know, in a certain type of environment work, because that's work. That's your first W-2 job. That's your first uh, job that you get a paycheck for. So you go out into the quote unquote real world, mm -hmm. right? After you leave there. And you remember the environment you left and you get in there and you're like, wow, this guy's a jerk. Cow's a jerk. What's going on with it? You, know, you start working for a bad series of bad bosses and you're like, it doesn't, why is it like this? And people are like, well, that's just the way it is. I'm like, no, 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 it's not the way it is. I just came from an environment right. that blah, blah, blah. And you list out the, the features and I'm like, no, son, it's not like that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like they looked down on you at 18. You're like, look, boy, that ain't the real world. Like that, the world doesn't work like that. And I'm like, you don't understand, Sparky. I just left that, right? I, I that was my, that was my lived experience for the last three years, right? You know, big percentage of your life at that point. You're like, <laughs> well, you lucked like, out. You lucked out because most people have really horrific stories as their first, well, you know, it, your one or two jobs, right? Exactly. But what it did, it created this cognitive dissonance to where, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be like this. No one's perfect. That place wasn't perfect. No, no company, no organization, no leader, no manager, no person is perfect. But it, they did; they were intentional and deliberate about creating that environment to keep the people there. You know, there's some people that are going to stay, and some people just because of college and things that are going to go. And you have to create that environment because the people that are willing to stay and want to move up and want to do, you got to create that environment where they don't want to go, and that's what reduces their turnover, increases their engagement. That's what people want to come work there. And it get me was, I always wanted to try to figure out to get back to that environment. How do you make the workplace like that? You know, it can be done, but how? You know, that's one of the reasons I went back to school is to how do I deconstruct the process? How do I, you know, figure out these ways to help, you know, increase engagement and, you know, reduce turnover and, and make a workplace you know, a better place to go and help leaders create amazing teams. I mean, how do you do that? I saw it done before, but I wanted to learn for myself. Okay. Let me peek under the hood. It's kind of like, I know how to drive a car 
and it gets me where I need to go and I'll enjoy the car, but maybe let me go to the mechanic school and figure out how this whole thing works, right? <laughs> so do, you remember, do you remember the qualities of the, of the first leader that you worked for? Do you remember yeah. some of the things that he, he or she, I'm assuming it's a man, did that makes you, makes you realize now, wow, um, that these were significant things that companies, like you said, going forward, you needed to, to see, but you weren't seeing. Yeah, I think he was, well, one, he was very authentic. What you saw was what you got. Uh, it wasn't a lot of fake corporate speak. He was very appreciative. He showed a lot of gratitude towards the employees. Mm-hmm. He thanked people for coming in. Thank, I mean, thanked you for doing something you were supposed to do anyway, but still that little bit of gratitude, that honest, the reason I said authentic at first is because when he did give you a compliment or I did thank you for coming in or thank you, whatever, that was a genuine heartfelt it wasn't a tip trick or technique it wasn't a hack it wasn't a well i can make people think that i appreciate them and they're gonna like working for me more no he actually appreciated the people that were working for him they right. were contributing to the success of the whole organization and which, so which seems really simple right david but yes. it is so basic but it's just about you know i often say that unfortunately i've had my fair share of not so good uh leaders and i've had I would say a smaller percentage of really phenomenal leaders. And, you know, those ones, the, the, the ones that are uh, kind and authentic, they stick out. They're like a beaming light, you know, yes. and you can see how sometimes, I, and I, I can think of myself in my tenure, that I actually stayed behind longer, potentially, because I liked that leader that I was working for. Um, and in retrospect, I was like, oh, you know, I really want to stay because I like this person, but I know my trajectory in my career needs to go somewhere else. Those type of people are credit to the organization that they work for. Mm-hmm. And because I mean, the, the, the old adage is as true today as it was when it, you know, when, when it was coined is that, you know, people don't leave organizations for the most part, people leave people. Mm-hmm. And you could have the best job, the best organization to work for, and your direct manager can make it a great place to work or a horrible place. And you just, and you've got to get out of there. So I've myself, and I've also seen lots of people that I know leave good jobs, mm-hmm. leave good environment things that, you know, this would be a great place if, and you know, but the people that they're working for make it a place that they just don't want to go. So it's funny that you mentioned that is because um, I look at it as not a, a, a fad or a tip or a trick or some kind of, like I said, some kind of hack. I look at it as, you know, that's genuine, authentic. I really do appreciate the people that are working with me. I really do have a sense of empathy. Uh, so there's no doubt in my mind. I didn't know the term before and mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with it, but I, there's no doubt that he had a high, very high level of emotional intelligence. Um, I know that, like I said, he was just a, a, a good moral integrity. I guess it's a good way to put it. You know, he was, he was going to do the right thing, yeah. even if it cost him, even if it, okay, yes, you're right. right. I said I was going to do that. And okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I did tell you I was going to give you the day off and okay, that's going to put a shorthand, but I told you. And so have it, you know, just doing the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it's. And with authentic leadership, but, you know, with a lot of the research that's done, moral integrity is in line. If Even if, it, like you said, he might, he may have said to you, hey, sure, you'll have the Friday off before the July 4th or whatever. <laughs> and then he didn't think it through. And then all of a sudden he short staffed and he said, he keeps his word to say, because I've said you could, even yeah. though it's going to put him out. And, and I think, uh, you know, that those qualities sometimes, do you think it's qualities that are, you know, easier to teach. Some people seem to have, I would say intuitively, a real 
deep sense of some core fundamentals to be authentic. Meaning, I'm not saying, and some people just naturally, yeah, you know, yeah. they seem to have it. Do you find that's a that that's something that you see a lot out there, or do you find that sometimes you actually see leadership teams where you have to teach some of the basic fundamentals to what we call in, emotional intelligence? It's a combination of both. You know, the the, the best law. I'm not a not a lawyer, but uh, my best lawyer answer would be it depends. I've taken enough law classes yeah, yeah. to figure out that's the best, but it really does depend. Some people, like you said, they've grown up around the environment and look at it as nature nurture type of thing. If you grow up in an environment or you work in an environment where you see good leadership modeled, you might not understand the component pieces of it, but you just know that's what it, I, that was great for me. So I'm going to model what I saw because it was a great place to work. And I would like mm. to produce that same type of result. I'm going to do the same thing. Consequently, if you've never seen that modeled, you may not, and it's not your fault, you may not necessarily know how. You might not know the component pieces of a good leader because you've never worked for one. Now, saying that, I always had this philosophy in my head about two different clipboards. When I first started a career after that, I ended up joining the emergency medical services for years and I was in the fire department. Uh, municipal fire department doing both. And I laughed because in my mind, the way I pictured it with good bosses, bad bosses is it was at this old worn down rickety fire station and it had all these pieces of apparatus. And, and years ago, every single one of them had a little clipboard on it with a little cup hook. And that was the checkoff sheet. You go down for the day. Well, I, the two clipboards always just kind of stuck in my head on one, when I become the boss type of thing, what to do because I've seen good leadership model, what to do. And then on the other clipboard, the what not to do. <laughs> now, I might only have maybe a quarter page, half page on the what to do right. clipboard. But I felt like, depending on a few people that I had worked with and worked for, I felt like that the what not to do was almost like that green striped dot matrix print stuff at tax time. It just kept coming and coming and coming. It just went on forever, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well... Not the brightest bulb in the marquee, but if I can just, and I might not have a lot of examples of what to do, but if I can actively avoid the what not to do, just by default, I'm going to stumble on. You're going to, you're going to shot. You're going to shot. You're going to stumble on the good stuff. So, I mean, I would take people that, you know, if you work for bad leaders, what is one of the things you hated about it? Mm -hmm. I mean, and just, this guy was a jerk. He was a bully. He was, well, then don't be a jerk. Don't be a bully. Mm -hmm. You know, don't just... Well, he was mean to me. Well, then don't be mean to people. Be nice. Okay. Oh my God. What a concept. You know, it's just do but, the But opposite. you know, I got, I got to play devil's advocate with that because I've, been in, I've been in corporate environments and I've been in executive in environments. And I remember I always joke around and say, it's, it's, it's because of my Caribbean heritage, right? Small, <laughs> connected. And I would like be open and, you know, and I remember, uh, you know, being, you know, knocked back because I was so connected because I was yeah, looking yeah. for connection. So with the other executives on the team or I'd be, you know, sharing things about my portfolio and I'd be told, why are you being so open? That shouldn't, you shouldn't be at that. And I'm like, I'm working as an executive in health and wellness and, you know, but, but you're asking me to be incongruent with what I am supposed to be supporting. And right, it right. was a given. And there was so many examples that I saw over my years uh, over and over again that you know every level you went up like so the level above me was mm -hmm. even that much more disconnected disconnected than my level and um like you said about that implicit normative behavior 
um, you know, you get told one thing and, you know, the vision, mission, you know, you know, uh, all those things. And then the reality is behind the house. Yes. It's yes. incongruent. Good point on that, because there is a lot of that's why I just really bang the gong on the authenticity end of it, because a lot of it is incongruent. It just to really build a, an a amazing workplace culture. You have to be selling the vision, mission, values all the time. You cannot just come together once every three to five years in the executive boardroom, and it's only the folks, you know, at the 15th floor and above that come together in this boardroom, create this strategic plan, vision, mission, values, high five everybody, you know, hey, we, you know, got another five year plan going, stick that stuff on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And then, that's all it is, is something on the wall. Because if you're not constantly out there selling it, and it, people have different contexts and definitions of what I mean, you know, what they think of when I hear it, selling it, but you got to constantly be casting that vision. You got to constantly be, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there to everybody. You know, the leadership, the staff, and everybody has to be on the same page. And if they are, as the senior leader, you, that's the way you can kind of shape that culture is because you're constantly selling it. Uh, look at some of the best performing organizations in the world. You know, I don't think that um, I don't think that somebody ever goes to work at Apple thinking to themselves, you know, especially when Steve Jobs was there, yeah, he talks a good game on stage about having nice design and products at work. But, you know, uh, I, I, that's not what I'm seeing when we're here trying to build the piece, you know, that just simplistic, easy to use design, the philosophy that you know, mm -hmm. they, they had behind their products. I think that just resonated throughout and it was just ended up being something unconscious at some point, which is when cultures really work, because now all of a sudden it just seems to be an unconscious part of the organization. That's just the way we do it. It's mm -hmm. excellence. It's, you know, it's yeah, because like the thing is, and I, I think of like us in the last 18 months or so, really any mission, vision and value had to be, you know, you, you had your finger had to be on the pulse day by day, week by week about what was happening, you know, like, you know, for instance, I was talking to a lot of CEOs in IT and when the pandemic, you know, was like, you know, was heightened there, they had people, uh, you know, continue to work at the level they did because of their culture, mm -hmm. not saying, uh, I've got my mother and father that are both, have COVID and I have nowhere to go. So they keep, you know, kind of working and then in turn they're burning out or people are dying around them. But culturally, they always follow through with expectations. So, you know, the CEO on that level has to know, you know, what every line and every multinational location or international location is happening because it's not on a static kind of vision or mission anymore. Really difficult. And I think at those upper levels, especially the bigger the organization gets, the more you have to be very, very deliberate about being able to have channels of communication that kind of go around the traditional uh, org chart. Because I think if you're not getting what the real story is from the mid-level and from the ground, and you're just getting what's filtered up, um, I mean, middle management's a hard place to be. I mean, it, you're catching Absolutely. it from both ends. So I am not trying to 
don't get me wrong with what I'm getting ready to say, but I do have a joke about mental management being it's the most efficient filtration system in the world. Like reverse osmosis and desalinization has nothing on mental management, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do if the people underneath you are unhappy? You're going to, hey, boss, all my people like hate this place and aren't happy. They're going to leave. You're yeah. going to go really going to go tell them unless you've really, truly built that relationship. Of course. And it's a safe psychological space. And they're like, no, I, I want the truth because a lot of times it's shoot the messenger. And of course, you're going to, you know, it's just going to get happier and happier as it goes on. And if you're the CEO or you're one of the VPs and by the time it gets to you, it's really good. It's the news is fine. The air is so thin up there. They're nothing, everything. They're, they're like, oh, everything's good because everybody's generally afraid organization when you talk about psychological safety that they're afraid to go up to, you know, the ones that are around the CEO a lot of times, they're telling him or her if they're not feeling psychologically safe, what they want to hear, which right. is oftentimes a disconnect from, like you said, the frontline and the middle managers, right? And then people wonder, why, are, why is my short-term going through the roof? Why is my long-term going through the roof? My incidental absences, my arbitrations, but everybody's happy, happy, happy. If my employee engagement is, is in the toilet and, well, my employee engagement is down, well, maybe I need to get a new consultant. I don't like the questions they're asking. Mm -hmm. We'll get a new consultant in to ask different questions on the employee engagement survey, and that'll help. And if they if they still come back bad, then we'll fire him or her. We'll get another assessment company, and we'll do another set of organizational assessments. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of Dr. David Smiles' interview. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.